0: Together, we're having candid conversations that help you understand the challenges that a product manager faces, how they overcome them, and the tools and frameworks that will help you thrive in the role. So let's start the show.
1: Hello, everybody out there who is new to Clubhouse. Uh, My name is Red. I'm one of the founding advisors for the University of Washington's Product Management Center. And together with Jeff and Samea, we started this group every Tuesday at four o'clock to Really fill a void for what we noticed was a lack of online community resources for product managers. And so, what we've done tonight is we're not only here with this live show, but with that red dot above me, we're also planning on recording this and putting it up as a podcast. So, if you're interested and you can't stay the whole show, that's okay. Or if you have a question and you want to become super uber famous with us, come up on stage and ask a question later on, and you'll be able to find this How to Succeed in Product Management on Spotify, and Apple, and wherever you listen to listen to podcasts. In addition to that, one more thing I'd love to point out. Thank you to Jeff. We're starting our Slack group. Uh, As a result, now, if you're someone who wants to be part of a Slack group for product managers, so beyond just this event, we're talking almost 500. We're 13 people away, Jeff. 13 people away. So close. I know. I know. So if you can, DM me, tweet me, LinkedIn me, woof me, fax me. If you still do that, just go to my profile, find me, and I'll get you into the Slack group where we'll be having an ongoing discussion as well as Q&A during this event and beyond. So with that in mind, if you can't tell, I'm pathologically optimistic, enthusiastic about product managers and wanting to help them in every single way. And so with that, I'm going to shut up so that we can actually do that now.
0: All right, Red. So as, as Red said, we have multiple ways for you to engage in today's conversation about empathy. Uh, on Slack or in a moment, in a little bit, we will have, uh, you could raise your hand and we'll pull you up on stage to share your ideas or to ask a question about empathy. So Sumeya, you are our all-star here week after week, sharing insight after insight. uh, And your superpower is explaining why both current and aspiring product managers need to know what we're going to share with them. So can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I know most people know it, but I'd love for them to Uh, Know all the products, not all the products you've worked on, but we've been here for, we'd be here forever. But know uh, how awesome you are, and a little bit about why today's conversation is important.
2: Yeah, always a pleasure being here with you all. This is one of my favorite rooms. I look forward to it every week because we get to talk a little bit with some depth uh, about topics that are relevant to product managers. So, Jeff and Red, thank you for putting this together, and Lisa and and Kevin. Uh, I'm happy to be here with you today. So uh, the two things uh, I want to highlight around my experience are uh, my 20 years in building tech products or software in financial services, healthcare and media. And then uh, during that time as well, uh, besides being uh, a head of product, a PM, an engineer, I've also been a founder. And so uh, a lot of the lessons we talk about, I think, apply to anyone who wants to be a good leader, a founder, and a great PM, so excited about that. In terms of today's topic around empathy, the two things I want to uh, I, I want to make sure we convey are one. Uh, for, pro- for product managers who have been practicing for some, times, uh, for some time, you probably have realized that empathy is not only something that shows up in the work you do with your users or, or with your teams, but it also shows up in managing your career. So when we're talking about how to manage up, how to uh, communicate effectively with leadership, how to understand what matters within your organization, empathy shows up. Uh, and so there are so many reasons for uh, products managers who are who have been in the field to pay attention to this. And then the second one for aspiring product managers, I think the concept of empathy sometimes uh, comes up as something that you either have or you don't. But I believe firmly that it's a skill you can build. And as we continue the conversation, you're going to be able to pick up on the parts that make up that skill. What are the things we do as product managers to build that muscle, the empathy muscle that shows up in a lot of what we end up uh, doing every day?
0: Thank you, Sumea. Great to have you here as always. Uh, Now, Kevin, uh, can you tell us, uh, you are Captain Empathy. So tell us a little bit about yourself and then, as Sumeya said, uh, empathy is a skill. Um, maybe you could share a little bit about how somebody knows where they are in that skill development, where they, uh, to recognize that they, they have room for improvement.
3: Yeah, thank you, everyone, for the space and coming in. Um, I call myself Captain Empathy because exactly what Sumeya said is I believe empathy is the superpower, and specifically for product management, is the critical skill, and any, and I believe anyone can learn empathy. It is it's, it's, it's a muscle, it's a skill that you build. And the reason I'm Captain Empathy is because if you build, learn the superpower of empathy, you can be a superhero and everyone can be Captain Empathy. And so the, my, my background, I have spent uh, over 13 years in tech and product management for build the world's first uh, commercial airlines IoT platform, where you could put all the planes on a map and connect with them and communicate in real time through satellite communication. And then I uh, moved into public safety tech and built um, software services for Taser and then software uh, body cameras platform and the world's first IoT platform for body cameras, drones and uh, police cars and vehicles uh, with multi uh, two way communication, live streaming notifications of gunshot and and Taser. And even um, after that patented um The Star Trek hailing technology as well. So, I'm the inventor of hailing and official, uh, it's patent pending, but that is something I did. And in addition to all of that, I've built a startup within a big company, within uh, the company I worked at, uh, and took it from zero to scale and 40,000 subscribers, like licenses sold, multi million dollar ARR. And then right now, I'm uh, leading the IoT, uh, family IoT platform for T Mobile where we're building uh, IoT apps and uh, products and wearables for families, consumer families, as well as I have my own startup called Jago, which means to wake up, which is the world's first empathy gym for anyone and companies to build that empathy muscle and build empathy superpower in a measurable way. To answer your question, Jeff, how do people understand where they are on that empathy journey? Well, the question first is, do you understand yourself? Do you understand your your authenticity? Do you understand your, um, where you are in your personal journey? That is an important step in understanding empathy itself because that helps you remove your biases or at least understand where your biases are when you're approaching this. And as a product manager, are you naturally instinctively thinking from the customer's perspective or from the cus- perspective of whoever you're engaging with? It could be an internal stakeholder, it could be a customer. Are you understanding what their perspective is, what their motivation is, what their emotional motivation is in whatever you're trying to do, even if it's working with legal and are you approaching it through that lens? And that gives you like an understanding how easy it is to be able to understand their perspective, even tap into that perspective or approach that perspective. And that gives you that that journey. Um, It is hard to measure empathy in general, but we are working on it. Uh, I have one way in my platform, in Jago, which you can, it's, but there everyone starts at the same baseline. We're trying to make it more uh, equitable there. But just to get the conversation going, that's that's how I would uh, approach
0: thinking about it. All right, Kevin, thank you. and Welcome, I'm glad to have you here. Uh, next up, Lisa. Uh, Lisa, I'm, I'm hoping that you could tell us a little bit about yourself and then uh, talk a little bit about some of the biases that we may have and not realize. Um, so some of the biases you've seen uh, because, again, as a product manager, our goal one of our goals is to deliver value to the customers, and so biases can kind of get in the way of that. So I'm wondering if you could, after introducing yourself, talk a little bit about uh, the biases you've observed or that you're aware of.
4: For sure, and thank you for having me today. I'm really excited to be here, be part of the conversation. It's always great to be back to the this week in product rooms. So yeah, quick intro of myself. My name is Lisa. I'm currently based in San Francisco, but I'm actually moving up to Seattle literally as of this week. So I'll be up in Washington State and recently joined Microsoft. Um, Prior to that, I've worked across a variety of different industries. So what Kevin mentioned really resonates about continuous learning and developing and training that empathy muscle. And for me personally, I started my career in finance as well, and then going from finance to tourism, actually became a food blogger and food critic <laughs> for a while um, and I went into digital marketing, consulting, most recently in aerospace tech, and finally now at Microsoft building identity platforms. Yeah, so for me, I think how let's see how empathy relates for product management and the biases around that. It's really in what are some of the underlying assumptions that one may be making and how does that influence our decision or ability to resonate and understand our customers. And I think a big piece, a typical cognitive bias, right, is we suffer from survivor bias, which is looking at existing product and existing solutions. One might think, oh, these are the solutions that we built, therefore they must work. And I think of that as survivorship bias because, well, we don't at any point in time know the context and how decisions were made. And if you are a current PM or you've worked with PM before, you've probably heard of, you know, highest paid person in the room. I think it's called HIPPO or one of the (laughs) acronyms. In which solutions may have been built because unfortunately it might have been a pet project there was a really loud and demanding customer or some other external circumstance that led to a feature or a product being built and it might not actually be the best solution or one that actually addressed the pain point where the customers or the bulk of your customers would benefit from so i think there's one aspect survivorship bias Another one is confirmation bias, right? Which is, as all of us, and I think as part of being a product manager, is we are opinionated. (laughs) We do read, watch, consume all different industry news and trends. And we have assumptions in our head. We're thinking, all right, it's time to build for X persona. And I think this might be the best solution for that. So it's very tempting to go into a user research setting, whether that be a call or a speaking with our support team and cherry picking ideas and cherry picking evidence that will support our assumptions or support our opinions. And again, oftentimes it takes a lot of, I think, discipline and (laughs) self-awareness to pull ourselves back and say, okay, I like what X customer is saying because it supports what my assumptions are, but is there a bigger question or are there more stories that we can dive into? And, and really refraining from saying, okay, great, let's end the conversation. I got everything I need. And choosing to dive deeper and really trying to explore the unknown unknowns. Yeah, so I think starting with those two, that's probably a, a good amount of bias to look into, explore, and learn more about if you aren't as familiar with confirmation or survivorship bias. But yeah, I think those two are the most common denominator I have seen in where things may go wrong, <laughs> especially in a room or discussions around product management decisions.
0: Excellent. Thank you, Lisa. Appreciate it. and glad to have you here. Uh, Sumeya, I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about uh, maybe some context where lack of empathy has led things astray. So I don't know if you have any stories without naming names, maybe not the specific products to keep people safe here, uh, but if there's a way to kind of share what happens if we're not empathetic? Have you seen uh, anything go, what goes wrong?
2: Yeah, so, so here's how I want to talk about this. Um, sometimes, you know, the time horizon creates situations where your behavior or what you build can be not empathetic to a certain set of stakeholders or or personas. So what do I mean by that? Um, you can talk to as many people as you want, to any personas you want, to any segments you want. But then at the end of the day, when it comes to implementation, you're going to have to prioritize one thing over the other. Uh, and so uh, that lack of empathy can show up in the execution, uh, and I think one of one of the things that a lot of us PMs struggle with uh, around that prioritization is how do we make sure that the this other group of people uh, and the other word here is also not a great word to use, but um, it, it's it's a shorthand essentially um, for for this time context that that creates, you know, that prioritization. Um, so, so what do we do? And, and I say this because a lot of times we have to get a lot of stuff done. We have to deliver. We have to execute. We have to build towards outcomes. And then we forget about these groups that we know we're going to get to eventually, but uh, later. And so one of the things I've started doing now and, and I've learned over time is to not forget about them and to make sure that at least the people I've spoken to through the interviews or if we have a community page or a place that's accessible to everyone to be very upfront and mindful around when we think we're going to address the needs of that community or that group. Uh, so, and, and I've learned that the hard way <laughs> because I've, I've been taken to task by users I've talked to and I've interviewed who have said, Smeya, you talked to us, and yet we have not seen that change. We have not seen that update. Uh, and they, all they want is that courtesy of the communication uh, to say what you're building first and then how you're going to get to them. What's your plan, essentially? So that's a specific example around communication that I think sometimes we forget about, but I, I think is really important.
0: Thank you, Sumeya. And now my question is for Kevin. Um, how do we be empathetic and balance like the need to be empathetic with individuals and individuals from diverse backgrounds without falling into the trap of uh, stereotyping people or bucketing into uh, certain groups or trying too hard? Um, to have kind of visual demographic characteristics without kind of really truly being empathetic.
3: Yeah, g- great question. Thanks for sharing um, for asking that because I think that's an important aspect. And traditionally, we look at like when we were defining personas, we were we would talk in the context of here is someone an eighty five year old like a sixty five year old woman who was white and this is the thing. But what we should probably focus on is not those characteristics, but their needs. What are their needs? What are the problems? And, 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 and try to understand and put data around the problems and the needs that we're looking at beyond what are the sort of the um, intersectional identity characteristics that might, be, might exist. Uh, for example, the need to um, eat, I'll just do something very basic. Everyone has that need. Um, so the need to eat, and, and let, if I say it in that way, you're being inclusive because you're saying, okay, I'm trying to solve for this need. I'm trying to solve for this problem. So my persona is this person A, and this person has these problems or these needs. And if you define it around those needs, define it around the the sort of the characteristics or, of, of the problem you're solving versus who that person is and their identity, that might help reduce some of that uh, that sort of that. That in implicit bias and and building the product for a specific identity type. Um, and, and so, for example, like if I'm building, um, let's say I'm building a tablet and in, this, in the tablet, uh, I say, OK, the needs are, I want to make sure that uh, I make, I cover the focus, like I cover building a product where the requirements are, uh, they should be, people should be able to read or listen to the content. Because the need is that we want anyone who wants to listen or anyone wants all our all our persona A likes to listen to the content and our persona B likes to likes to read the content and if you do it in this way, all the people that might have those needs, even if they have visually visual impairment or hearing impairment, they might be they, they get included by because, because you're covering the needs.
0: Thank you, Kevin Lisa or Sumeya, do you have anything to add to what Kevin said regarding? Uh, being empathetic and um, really working hard to not just get the same sample at, that you're being empathetic with, but not falling into the trap of stereotyping. Lisa or Samantha, anything to add to that?
2: So one of one of the things um, that Lisa brought up around confirmation bias and uh, the other one around phantom norms uh, that I think about a lot are just things to to also be mindful of. So I I mention emotional intelligence a lot because it has four components and one of them is around self-awareness. And at the end of the day, a lot of this work comes down to that for the individual product manager. So, uh, but uh, yeah, just wanted to add that to it, uh, to all the goodness Kevin uh, provided. All
0: right. So we're going to open it up to the stage and a little bit, I have one more question for our panelists before we start getting comments and questions from you. But Red, can you gear them up? Tell them how they could get their comments and, and questions, What some tips for how they could be invited up on stage or how Absolutely. they could share insight if they don't want to come on stage.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. We're not going to pull you up against your own wishes. Uh, so the, as you're thinking about getting your questions answered, you don't have to wait for Jeff to ask for you. You also have the opportunity to come up on stage. At the bottom of your screen, there's this little hand raise Uh, picture button. You can click on that. There you go. A few of you have already found it. And we're going to start inviting you up on stage. Uh, All we ask is that you remain quiet and silent until called upon just because we're, we're, you know, obviously going through some questions with Jeff and in about a few minutes, we'll start going down to you. The second thing that's also super important, you should have a picture and a profile that describes what you do uh, and that it's relevant to what we're talking about today. So if you're someone who is on a vision to change the world, To make it a better place, it's a little too ambiguous. While empathetic to your goals in life, I can't be empathetic to everyone else in the room by letting you ask a question. Ooh, I am being biased, I know. So with that in mind, I'll start inviting folks on stage. Just meet yourself when you get up here and excited to hear what your thoughts are. Oh, and Jeff, one more thing. You do not just have to ask a question. If you are someone in product and you want to contribute, please come up on stage as well. As long as you're not someone named, Matt, that wants to come up on stage and heckle the moderators. Well, we welcome you, Matt, at any time.
0: Uh, (laughs) He's got such such a bad rep. He (laughs) has never been a troll, yet he gets called a troll and told he's going to heckle, but he's been nothing but kind to us. Uh, Matt, welcome to the stage, man.
5: Thank you. Uh, Kevin is uh, Captain Empathy. I'm Captain Mischief. (laughs) (laughs) Are you running, Matt? (laughs) No, not today. (laughs) <laughs> Woohoo! That's a change. I'll I'll behave.
0: Excellent, you always do, and we're always glad to have you here and welcome new people on stage. Uh, Red, do you want to just kick it straight to their questions rather than me ask one more? Do you feel? Oh, it's course. your turn. Yeah, let's you know, do
1: it. It's not about question of turns. It's being empathetic to those who've been in this room, so eager to ask their questions that I'm going to go right to Ish Sharma, someone who's focused on the health space or at least health in general. Uh, from Toronto, representing the friends up north-ish, what is your question to the crowd? Hi. Uh,
6: thanks for such an incredible conversation. Uh, so my con- uh, my question is: How do you communicate? Um, for instance, so as I mentioned, how you gather all the user data and you have to prioritize and you have to keep all the users in the loop to ensure that you know nobody feels left out. Um, what are some of the effective ways to communicate that? Um, if, for instance, someone is really looking forward to a feature, or let's say if there's something that you think is going to be a more beneficial feature or something that should be implemented first, how do you sort of manage them and how, what is a more most effective way of communicating that to the stakeholders?
2: I'll, I'll uh, take a stab at this one. So the answer of the most effective way to do this depends on the channels you have established already with, with your customers. So um, some of the tactics and places I have seen that happen, for example, I know there are companies who make their uh, parts of their backlog public and you can actually see the backlog that, uh, that their engineers are working on publicly and you can understand what the prioritization looks like. That's Obviously, that's an extreme amount of transparency built in there. Um, the other ways uh, that I have done myself was either through email or through communities. So we, for example, at Remedy Health Media, we had health communities with users and patients and, and people with certain conditions in in specific pods of communities. And I was able to go on the board uh, or on that community forum and provide updates periodically. Um, we would do sometimes calls every three months, quarterly calls to just talk about the the plans around the product. Uh, but it really depends on your product and what uh, what community looks like. At VMware, for example, we have VMworld where some of those conversations happen. We have Spring, we have certain conferences where we have those conversations. So... It's re- the channel has to be native and has to be part, you know, basically part of your communication with your community and your customers or your prospective customers. And then you just add this uh, additional communication uh, piece to it. At least that's what has worked for me.
6: Thank you. Um, I have a quick follow-up question to that. Um, if, for instance, how do you align the... Uh, the f- you know, uh, what is important to users versus what is important to um, higher-ups in your company. Um, so sometimes there's a push for certain features, but, you know, that, that may not be consistent with, with the user data that you've gathered. So how do you navigate through that?
2: Um, so this is part of this larger conversation. I think we've, we've had it here and we should probably have it soon again uh, around how do you, you as a PM, Pretty much should not feel coerced <laughs> to do anything. Uh, I am I'm, I'm one of the, the the people who, when you know, mentees talked or, or um, yeah, mentees talked to me about, oh, I had to do this because leadership said we have to do it. Um, I think there are only two reasons why that answer usually comes up. Is one you have not asked questions or enough questions to actually get the reasons. And sometimes that's because you don't feel safe and there is more to that. But fundamental is because you didn't ask the question or you did not find the right information. That's one. Or two, because you did not do enough due diligence to make your case. Um, Anything beyond that? (laughs) I, I think everything or all the reasons that usually come up or uh, go under one of these two reasons so i put the responsibility squarely on the shoulders of the pm to get alignment with their leadership or with other teams on why they're doing something because the, the product is theirs this is your product if you're going to do something with it you need to be comp- you need to have a, a reason and a compelling one to do it and if you don't Uh, Then you shouldn't do it, (laughs) Um, and and so I I know that that this is sometimes a difficult concept, and I say that because I recognize at different parts in our careers the dynamics can be different, uh, but I encourage you to always know why you're doing something
1: and actually be aligned with it. Uh, Matt or Kevin, I saw you come off mute. Do you want to add to that? Yeah,
3: I just want I just wanted to add one thing to that. Um, Absolutely agree with uh, with that. But uh, in, in addition to that, I would say that uh, try to also understand their motivation. You said you have you brought data to this situation, and that you're still getting pushback. Try to understand what what is that pushback? Where is the misalignment happening? And this is where empathy comes in as well. Uh, try to see it from their perspective, and then if you do that, you will be it'll be much easier to convince them because you'll be like, oh, their perspective is. Uh, financial or revenue or short-term resources or whatever their perspective that's sort of blocking this decision, then you can focus your answer and your story and your pitch towards that as well. And that will make them feel like you've understood them. And that makes it easier and reduces barriers. And I'm done.
1: Oh, Lisa, I saw you come off mute, please.
4: Yeah, sure. Just want to echo (laughs) both what Kevin and Soumya mentioned. And I think a big piece around trying to anchor or align it's coming back to the customer right and coming back to anchoring why what pain points are we trying to address or what is the desired gains and i think this is where you may see a nuance between b2b versus b2c type of product where a lot of enterprise product at the end of the day you're building features you're building product platforms to help users in their work, right? So a lot of it, it's about workflow. It's about helping them achieve a very specific outcome, which will help them succeed in their work. And I think that's where, if you come back to using that as an anchor and saying, all right, does this feature, whether it be something that the higher up has suggested or advocated for versus something that you have heard from your support team and other internal stakeholders, bring everyone back to the table and say, how does this help our users achieve the outcome they want to achieve. And I think in B2C or consumer-facing products, that's when really a lot of the time you have enough scale in the data itself because you know hundreds of thousands, millions of users, you can actually run A-B testing or experimentation with statistical significance. That's where the data aspect and using data or quantifiable data to tell the story can go a long way because at the end of the day, the CEO or the founder might feel very strongly about X feature because, you know, at the end of the day, he's the founder or she's the founder and they have that intimate knowledge of the market and that's how they were able to start the company. So there is value in their perspective. By the same time, their company and the product they are building may have evolved since when they first started the idea. So that's where grounding those discussions and negotiations sometimes around resourcing and alignment and prioritization in the ground truth data will really go a long way.
1: Lisa, Lisa it's very clear to me that you are very much against this uh, concept of survivorship bias in a good way. Uh, <laughs> yes. And that, that is a very healthy thing. For anyone who's a fan of that, definitely DM or follow Lisa. Uh, definitely not one of the hippos on the prairie. Uh, so uh, with that in mind, Ish, uh, hopefully that answered your question. And you are more than welcome to continue the conversation in the Slack group. We want to make room for others. But uh, thank you. Um, awesome. Dialing thank you. Thanks, everyone. This is now, very helpful. Of course. Of course. Now, with that in mind, being empathetic to everyone on stage, I know there's others with questions, but I've been just quickly informed that we have a potential tangent alert. Whoop, whoop, whoop. And Sumaya, I'm giving you the microphone the floor to talk a little bit about what direction you'd like to go with this.
2: Yeah, just very quickly. I want to have a heart to heart with my fellow PMs, um, and this is about being feeling empowered and having the mindset to actually act as the PM who is making decisions around prioritization, making decisions that gets to outcomes that matter, and that means if you feel empowered that way. You're gonna do the right things for you, to bring your thinking, to bring your um, your motivation. You're gonna you're gonna feel at peace with whatever you're doing. You're gonna feel that, and I talk about feelings here, and I feel very strongly about this because a lot of the stuff I see come and come in the way of PMs are are all about mindset and feeling mindset that they are in control of certain decisions that matter. And because of that, they can ask all kinds of questions they want that other people on the team might not necessarily feel empowered to. And then the second piece is the feeling part. Your your gut feeling around things also matters. So your intuition matters. The founder's intuition matters. The leadership Intuition matters. And and so beyond those two things, everything else is technique. If, if leadership comes to you and asks you to do something that your intuition is saying is not going to work, then go get data that supports what you're saying. And you can. There are so many different techniques that gets you there. I think it's all about, at that point, understanding how to get to those answers you're looking for. Not because you are right, but because you're curious to see why two smart people who know the customer are coming up with two different answers that, ki- that can be in conflict. And so you can actually design testing and find ways to very quickly, very leanly uh, get data to support the argument wi- one way or the other. I say this because I think it's not a good thing when PMs say leadership said, I must do this, or this is what we have to do, either you believe in the values that the convers or the values and the outcomes that the organization has created and you have created with them, or you don't. And if you don't, then that's not a great situation for you. And it's better for you to actually leave that situation. (laughs) Um, But if you believe in them, then it's on you to get to a place where there is always alignment on why, on why something is getting done in your products. End of rant.
5: <laughs> can, I, can I jump onto that? And Samaya, I couldn't agree with you more. I'm a reform product manager, but I'm, I guess what you call quote-unquote leadership. I absolutely hate it when a product manager refers to anyone who's an executive that I've been around as leadership. Because I'm looking for product managers that have conviction. There's no way that executives, maybe in some instances of early stage where you have a founder who's very, very close to the customer. But as you start to scale, there's no way an executive understands the customer better than a product manager. There's no way. Um, I've known founders, even at big scale companies, that answer like 200 emails a day, but they still aren't as engaged with the customer as the product manager. So from my perspective, you know, and I've... Just got done selling Rosetta Stone twice. I've been in Expedia. I've been at startups. I hate it when product managers come to me and say, well, what does leadership want? I have no idea what what the customer needs in comparison to the product manager. I'm going to look at market research studies. I'm going to talk to customers. But the product manager is the champion and should act like the champion. So triple down on what Samea just said.
1: That is not even a tangent, Samea, That is the heart of everything we're talking about right now. That, I. <laughs> I I, I respectfully ask to put it on record that I take back this was anything, anything even remotely close to a tangent. Because I will tell you that every person who works at every company, independent of just product managers, should feel like they were hired to have their voice heard and their job represented. But the product manager, unlike anyone else, has one of the hardest jobs because they're trying to put in front of their customer What that customer wants, but at scaling that times a thousand or a million or tens of millions, how do you give everyone what they want? I mean, I'm a dad of three kids, five and under, and I can rarely give them or get them to agree on anything. Uh, And I'm I'm not comparing customers to children, but let's be honest: when you look at the data, I would I would prefer to work with my children than a hundred thousand customers, only because I wouldn't be as successful. That's why I'm not a product manager. So, uh, Sumea, thank you for, for doing that. Um, Jeff, if you want to contribute or ha- ask a hardball question of that, I think it's worth digging on. And I know we have a few more folks on stage that want to ask questions, but it's definitely a great topic. Definitely a great topic.
0: Yeah, and I love the enthusiasm. Uh, I want to give Kevin a chance to respond, uh, Kevin or Lisa, to respond to Sumea's uh, heartfelt uh, speech here. Not speech, that sound, that uh, trivialized it, but the heartfelt uh, comment there. Uh, Kevin or Lisa, anything to add or... Uh, yeah,
3: I, oh, I, I absolutely wholeheartedly support that. It is a product manager is a product manager because of empowerment. And an executive that doesn't behave that way is basically misusing your talent that you have in the safe. And I completely agree. A product manager, one of the things I currently lead a, a large team at T-Mobile, and I tell each of the people on my team, I said, hey, you should feel empowered to challenge me no matter where. If I say something and you have data, you are closer. Please speak up, challenge me. I, I am way further away at the chain to know all the nuances and I will ask questions. My, and what I do as a leader to work on it is I don't make opinions as much as I ask questions. I try to understand better. If, I, if there's a feedback, I ask, first thing is, what is your recommendation if they come and ask for my opinion? I said, what is your recommendation if they haven't? Product managers, bring your recommendation. Like, here's the problem. Here's what are the options are. This is my recommendation and Why? That is a brilliant tool of showing ownership, empowerment, and showing that you know better than the executive about your customers. I absolutely believe that. Empowering product managers is the best way to to harness their talent and bring value and and engagement because I agree, it is a hard job. And when you empower someone and make them feel like an owner in there, they're going to do that hard job really well and put their heart into it.
0: All right. Thank you, Kevin. And again, thank you, Sumeya, for kicking that part of the conversation off, and then Matt for chiming in as well. Uh, I want to get to the stage for more questions in a moment, but first, uh, Kevin or Lisa, Sumeya just staked a claim and and, and had her heart to heart. And I'm curious, as it relates to empathy and development of this uh, this skill, if you have any controversial opinions that you seek validation for or bold uh, claims that you want to make and uh, and let the people here know where you stand. Um, but any controversial uh, opinions, bold stands, or questions, something that you're really not sure about and want to hear from the other product leaders on stage? Uh, Kevin or Lisa?
4: Ooh, this might be a fun one. And it might be kind of controversial. And, and I would love to get Red's opinions well, given that he's a sales manager. So one thing I have heard from people as they say, I'm not a great salesperson and that's why I think I would be a great PM. (laughs) And that comment befuddles me a little bit because I think on the flip side of the coin, you hear a lot about how product managers, product leaders, a lot of what we do is leading with influence and really trying to build alignment. And in reality, I think that can also be rephrased as doing internal sales, right? Because you are fundamentally trying to Practice empathy to understand and use various techniques, whether that be building relationship through one-on-ones, to coffee chats, to you know happy hours, whatever tickles your fancy, but finding different ways to fundamentally understand who our internal stakeholders are, what their priorities are, and how you can find the best middle ground or some sort of a solution that will align with their incentive right? And ultimately sell them on coming to the party and joining you and supporting you and speaking up and advocating for you when you are in that room, making the ask. And the ask can be resources. It can be about engineering resources where you're saying, I strongly believe in this vision and I need to build this within X time. That's one way where you're asking for something. Or you might be asking for timelines for something to be done and go to market sooner than others, in addition to other resources. So when I hear the comments that PM and sales are often confrontational on on two sides of the coin and people have a lot of friction with sales team and they don't perceive themselves as salespeople, I struggle to understand that because fundamentally that is part of the job and you are there to build alignment and you are there to sell people on that vision, right? And you can call it, bring them along so they understand your story, but you're still selling. And I'd love to hear the room's thoughts on that.
1: Well, I, I don't know if you're asking me as a salesperson and the background there to respond first, but I, uh, oh, okay, fine. Uh, well, I will say that the sale, selling starts with being Socratic. In my personal opinion, it means asking a lot of questions to understand what the other person's needs are. And so just like being a product manager, I would actually say a product manager is always selling and a salesperson is always managing expectations uh, around what they're trying to deliver. So we're not different at, at all. I think it's about finding a common language and getting both parties to agree on it. So it's. Uh, I think product managers are, in fact, some of the best salespeople I've ever met. I just don't think they can handle the commission strategies as well as the <laughs> ebbs and flows of the stress associated with a quota. But the quota they have is very much the same as ours. They have to deliver something in time and there's a lot of people expecting it from them. So we we should go out for drinks after this, but I'd like to kick it over to Kevin or Samaya to, to weigh in their thoughts on, on this response and Lisa's question in general. <laughs> Kevin, I wanted to give you a chance to go next.
3: Oh, uh, thank you. Um, I, I was doing the same to you, but yeah, for me, I completely agree. And in my role as product manager, especially in the B2B space, I have been personally on so many sales calls because not only does it provide support to the sales team, but here's a subject matter expert, but now you have direct access to customer telling you about their needs as the salespeople are asking questions, as they're talking through it. I've been on sales calls where we didn't even bring the product out, but just we got there and we just got to ask questions. And then the customer said, you know what, I have the need for your product. Let's set up a pilot without us ever showing the product. And what that did is just focus the, on the customer and, and the question. So I absolutely agree that to be a good product manager, influence, empathy, and, and partnership with sales is absolutely
6: crucial.
2: Um, when I think about uh, past relationships where the, you know there was a lot of... Uh, Malcontent, or I, I don't know, uh, tension, negative, negative tension. Because tension is not always bad. Sometimes you really need it, especially if you want to create, for example, a sense of urgency or other other factors. But um, I, when I think back to uh, those contentious times with sales that were really negative in nature, lots of negative uh, feelings and, and and outcomes out of them. Uh, I think about culture. Uh, as as being part of that driving force. So we're all part of the culture, but it was that kind of relationship also existed between products and marketing and between marketing and engineering. So there were a lot of those situations. Uh, but then when I think about the best relationships between sales and product, again, culture is at the center of it and there is a lot of bridging and collaboration. So um, Sometimes if you are working within a company and you're feeling that kind of negative uh, relationship, look at the larger culture of the organization and you'll probably see that it's a pattern that's encouraged in some ways because leadership sees it. Everyone sees it and they let it be. (laughs) Uh, And that means it's it's just native to it. All right. Thank you. Thank you.
0: Lisa, I appreciate you giving the, your opinion or controversial uh, opinion there. Uh, Kevin, do you have a question for your fellow panelists or a controversial opinion that you want validation or um, refutation of?
3: Um, sure. The w- One thing I've been really thinking about and I've been talking about and practicing recently is product managers are artists and creators. And I think that is something that uh, we don't talk about often. In, People don't think of product managers as creators. And one of the coaching things I've been doing with my team is homework assignment. On the weekends, I want you to go do something creative. Even if it's cooking a new recipe, if it's growing a plant, what are you doing outside of work that is creating, that's some related to art? Because that impacts exactly what you're doing. Because when you're creating, you're thinking about the person, the audience, you're thinking about it, and you're trying to take your perspective and bring it in with uh, around the uh, perception of your customers and creating like a recipe or cre- uh, doing a plant it is an act of empathy creation and artistry is something that you understand yourself which helps you understand other people and i think it's a really important skill that we don't talk about as much as product managers are artists and when you're writing those requirements that's an act of creation
0: i would love your thoughts if you uh, if you disagree i would love to hear why Excellent. Kevin, thank you. Uh, Lisa, Sumeya, or Matt, our uh, resident troublemaker, Uh, anything from the three of you to add to Kevin's comment? I was
2: listening to a podcast today uh, uh, from Envision. Uh, It was with uh, the CEO of uh, Airbnb, and he was making a comment about why designers make the best CEOs, and uh, it was around paying attention to customers and creativity. Uh, Those were some of, some of the reasons and every reason he ticked off. I'm like, that's true for PMs too. That's true for PMs too. (laughs) And, uh, and so I, you know, that point around creativity was the only one that I had to think about a little bit and think about how do we PMs show our creativity? And I think it shows up uh, in the problem solving we do. It shows up in the communications we have to craft. It shows up in many ways that we take for granted. Uh, and some of the best PMs, um, you know, are not just looking at numbers and like hard science. They're, they they look at inspiration from wherever it comes from nature, from people, from, uh, from everywhere. So there is that. There is, of course, your point, Kevin, around outside of work, doing other creative things. I think, yes, definitely that's important and and all of that. But um, I'm always curious, in when we look at a well-rounded PM and an effective PM, I think a lot of what they do or a good part of what they do is creative. So I, I just want to double down on that a little more and highlight it for other PMs because I was not paying attention to it for a while uh, and I just wanna highlight it for, for my friends here. You do do some creativity in your work, just pay attention to
0: it. In interest of time, uh, sorry, Lisa, I don't know if you were coming off mute or doing the, the, hand, the clubhouse hand clap of uh, off and on mute, but uh, let's get a few more questions uh, read. Uh, tell people any guidance they need and do
1: your thing. Absolutely. So for everyone who hands raised, welcome back to the stage. Obviously, if you don't have anything in your profile that says you are in product, uh, I'm reluctant to bring you on stage only because there's so much time. So with that in mind, uh, we have Shetel, hopefully I'm saying that correctly, as the Anaconda Inc. The question is, what's your question? That was me being an anaconda, by the way. I don't know if they make that noise. I like
0: that. That, That's up there with the Scooby-Doo comment from last week. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Sorry. Go ahead, Sheetal.
6: Um, Yeah. Hi, guys. Uh, I'm Sheetal, and I'm uh, working as an product in Anaconda. Very exciting. So my question is – We're talking about empathy now for our users and our customer base, but then when our customer base is an open source network or an open source community where it's really large and everyone's needs can be different from time to time, how do we empathize with the entire open source community as the whole? And um, the second one would be uh, keeping that in mind. How do we um, prioritize any feature or any releases for them
7: Uh, uh, go ahead lisa
4: oh yeah no i was about to say i think (laughs) open source is really interesting because i think depending on how it sounds like it's more of a developer or technical facing product and platform and i think from that it's a slightly different beast because On one hand, you have a lot of direct feedback channel from your community, right? Whether it be in GitHub with open issues to user comms, to meetups, to core teams, depending on how that open source community manifests itself. There's different ways to engage. But at the same time, I think within it, acknowledging that there are different user segments and you've heard us use the word user persona a few times. I think even being able to suss out how can you logically group or segment your community and dedicate different efforts so that you can building listening tours, building user research time, and really understand what their pains or what they're trying to achieve. Again, with a technical use case, a lot of the time they're trying to build something, right? Whether it be building for personal projects or building for business, even using it as a skill learning and capacity building aspect. So that's one element i have thought and experience working with open source communities and on the topic or your second question around prioritization and i'd love to hear what everyone else can share as well i think there's tons and tons and tons of knowledge out there around best ways to prioritize and really the short answer is it depends right it depends on your company culture it depends on the size of your company It depends on the growth phases, even the product maturity, and there's no one-size-fits-all. So yeah, I I think really on prioritization, a lot of that has to come from a further or longer discussion. So I hope that helps.
0: Thank you, Lisa. And we're going to see if for the first time ever, we can speed through every question that the audience has before we have to conclude this episode of How to Succeed in product management. As a reminder, we're recording this and putting it out as a podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts and all your favorite podcasting apps. Uh, And we're here every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time. So if you don't get your question answered, come on back next week as we'll have new panelists. And also, uh, if you uh, didn't get your question, if you didn't get to come up on stage, uh, hop on the Product Management Center Slack channel. Uh, You can click on Red's bio, uh, DM him, and find out how to join the Product Management Slack channel a place for knowledge, community, and impact. Um, But uh, Deep, I'm I'm overstepping on Red's responsibilities here, but Deep, rapid-fire question for us, and then we're going to give Kevin
7: concluding thoughts, and we're going to get the last few questions as we close this out. Thanks, Jeff. Um, So it was very interesting listening to this topic. Matt and Sumea both mentioned this idea of product management being art and science, having that capacity to be able to forming a, you know, an intuitive perspective, be able to go verify it with data points, be able to be curious. All these soft skills, all this intuition skills, I was just wondering if Matt and Samea could both comment on how do they, as they hire people on their teams, how do they smell for such qualities in folks that they build their teams now with?
5: I'm going to beat Samea for once. I'm going to be fast, too. Um, I, I do a set of questions um, around design, everyday things. It's based on a book, really good book, but... Um, Design everyday things um, is a good exercise to do that's collaborative. It's just to see how that person thinks through solving for a, a product um, a scenario and then how well they work with other people. Sumeya so will have a better answer.
2: <laughs> your, your answer was so unexpected, Matt. I forgot what the question was. <laughs> it was an awesome answer. But sorry, Deep, what was the question again? And, and Red, please make sure this part is not in the podcast. Oh, oh. <laughs>
1: wait, wait, wait. this
5: is where Samea drops the F bomb.
1: This is, <laughs> this is uh, absolutely going to make the podcast just like Scooby Doo <laughs> and and the time that I pitched the wrong thing. This is what makes it real, Sumea. <laughs> We're real
7: people behind these little, these profile pictures.
1: Sure thing. So, All right. Thank so you, so
2: Samaya,
7: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the question was, you know, as you look for talent and you build out your teams, both you and Matt talked about this art of product management, which is this ability to have a gut instinct, to be able to ask the right questions, to be able to, you know, be curious. These are not hard These are not hard skills. Like somebody knows a specific technical program. How do you smell for those people? How do you find those qualities in people? Because from what I've seen, you know, finding the right qualities in people tends to be more important than the skills because I think skills can be learned. But I was wondering if you could... Shine some light on that.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great question, Deep. Um, I'm a big fan of the the case uh, study kind of interview where um, we we have a you know multiple hour kind of interview where the person works through a problem, and uh, I have an engineer usually and a designer with us, and the problem is one that might be relevant to our product or not. And then together, I want to see how they work through it with the team. Real-time interactions uh, show a lot, but not enough. I, even with all of that, I still think hiring practices <laughs> all around are very uh, are very crappy. <laughs> Out of a three-hour interaction or a four-hour interaction, you can't really tell much. You can just pick up certain signals. Sometimes there is a lot of noise. Um and yeah, I, I mean, I can ask all the questions I want, but if someone has a bad day, uh, I am very cognizant of the fact that I won't get the, the right answers or maybe they're, they're sincere or authentic answers. Um, I know this is, that wasn't your question, but uh, yeah, the, to, to answer your question, I use the, the case study method.
0: All right. Thank you, Samaya. Thank you, Deep, for that question. I got to give Kevin a shot for concluding thoughts. And if extra bonus points if you're able to give some digestible bullet pointed takeaways that you hope the audience got from today's conversation uh, before you have to go
3: um yeah thank you so much um what an opportunity amazing conversation every time i join i learn so much in in conclusion um empathy is going to is your superpower and you can learn it i i believe you can be that 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 next level, the 10x product manager, because of empathy, you will be able to influence people easier. You'll be able to have better intuition in, in where to look for the data and how. What are the questions to ask? And just ask questions. Accept the fact that you don't know what you don't know. Ask questions. Be curious and try to understand each other. Um, you're, each of us, we're artists. We're con- we're creators, and so let's let's really embrace that approach as we go into this world. And, um, I love what Sumeya said about uh, get inspiration from all these places, and then I do that all the time. Um, I get inspirations from the most unique places, and then I come back and I talk to the team about these ideas. So look from outside your work. what are you doing to sort of replenish that inspiration jar in your in your in yourself and understand yourself? And uh, thank you for Jeff, thank you, Lisa, Red, Sumeya, and everyone for allowing me to come in and share my thoughts. And finally, uh, I am hiring at T-Mobile, just, job
0: just posted. So reach out and we'd love
3: to connect. Thanks.
0: All right, Kevin, thanks for being here. And Sumeya, this is a rare opportunity for Sumea can go a little bit longer than our normal one hour here. So we're going to utilize this. And Lisa is also able to stick around for a little bit. Um, and so Red can interrupt when he's ready to manage the stage. But first, Lisa, Sumea, and Matt, uh, one resource that somebody you would recommend to somebody as they are uh, trying to develop empathy as a skill or recognize uh, biases that they may have. So one resource you would recommend related to our conversation today? Uh,
2: The one I always recommend, which (laughs) I'm so sorry to people in this room who have heard this recommendation multiple times, which is the Daniel Kahneman book, Think Fast and Think Slow. It's a very um, heavy read, but... You pretty much will feel after you read it, it has a lot of behavioral science and economic, you know, data behind it. Uh, and he, he is a Nobel laureate. So it, there's so much to learn there. Um, and then the second book uh, is Emotional Intelligence.
4: Yeah, I would recommend Anything and Everything by Brene Brown. <laughs> and you've probably heard of her. She She's a really popular TED Talk speaker and TED speaker. And she also has a special on Netflix, I believe. So she she talks a lot about vulnerability. Dare to Lead is one of her latest books. And I think in there, again, there's a lot of psychology, behavioral science, as well as human nature. So I really enjoy that. I think something more product-specific is there's a great product coach, speaker as well. Her name is Teresa Torres. And Teresa focuses heavily of her research as well as her latest book, and mostly around product discovery. So the early part of identifying problems, statements, understanding those assumptions, making hypotheses, and the process to validate that with customers. So I think on the topic of empathy today, that's the phase of product development lifecycle that I think would really benefit. And yeah, Teresa has some great content on that. And a lot of it's on her website or on her blog. So highly recommend.
0: Thank you, Lisa. And then Matt, a quick uh, resource as it relates to empathy. Anything to add?
5: Yeah, this is more colloquial. Um, Adopt a customer. Uh, Try to come up with a representative set of customers, it can be a very small number, that you adopt. They're on your wall. You think about them all the time. You actually talk to them all the time. Outside of all the wonderful things that you'll do in terms of you know, um, design sprints, user research, everything, it's always good, I find, to have a lot of empathy around a persona.
0: Thank you, Matt. And now we're going to try super ambitious. Red, it's your turn to see if you can wrangle this crew for speed questions before we get to concluding thoughts from everybody.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And for the record, by the way, uh, echoing emotional intelligence, I did not have empathy, or at least I didn't believe I did growing up. And I was recommended that book in high school. Uh, And I will tell you, it is a reason I am where I am today, Sumaya. So highly recommend that as well. Um, Arsh, uh, I was empathetic to the fact that you are a college student aspiring to be in product that I'd let you on stage without a profile picture. But we don't even know if you're human or AI. So maybe you can jump in and out. What's your question as an aspiring product manager? Our second guest today from Toronto,
7: by the way.
0: Uh, hi. Um, hello, everyone. Thank you for this opportunity.
2: Um, so uh, my question is, where do you draw the line or the balance between empathy and profitability or business sense? And where I'm coming from is I'm sitting on an idea that I think could be great for society, but I don't see where I make
0: money with it. So uh, where do you draw the line between empathy towards your customer and business sense? Great question, Arsh. Who wants to take it first? It's a race.
2: <laughs> Only Matt made it a race. <laughs> um well, Arsh, let's put it this way. If you're not around to do business, your customers are not going to have someone serving them. So <laughs> uh, I, I know that's like a, a, a very, uh, very uh, quick answer. But truly, at the end of the day, um, the, the, the viability of the business is an important thing to the customer. Because uh, if you are not able to, uh, to sustain uh, business operations and and everything you do, um, then you are not going to be able to create uh, outcomes or value for your customers. So there is always that balance. And as PMs, uh, this is where uh, you know conversations around outcomes uh, are are really important. And there is that tension sometimes between one outcome versus the other. Uh, This is why prioritization is not an easy thing to to do. Uh, Sometimes you have to prioritize one over the other. But that's actually rare. Because ultimately, the business cannot be successful without the customer being successful. At least, not in the long run. You can make some short-term decisions that you know gets you some wins, but long-term, you will not succeed with that kind of thinking. Uh, and and uh, SPMs rarely do we have those situations where uh, you know the business winning means the customer losing. It's usually a win-win situation.
0: Thank you, Sumeya. Red, are we going to go for one more, or is it time for concluding thoughts? How ambitious are, so- are you?
1: One more. Let's do it. Arsh, thank you for contributing. Uh, Chandra, you've been waiting patiently, and uh, you know what? As someone as eager as you to wait through this whole thing, I could not give you an opportunity to ask a question. It'd be crazy. Get empathetic. So please, stage is yours.
8: Absolutely. Uh, thank you so much. Um, I'm personally grateful to be part of this group, um, and and especially to even um, you know, listen to some of the likes of, you know, of Matt and and Sumeya, you know, as well. So, uh, you know, for a couple of questions. First thing is I'm on the lookout for product management opportunities. Um, so I, I'll i be, you know, humbled to know if there are um, any opportunities given that I've got 10 years of experience. And um, the second question, you know, uh, that I have is that is, in the post covid uh, times what i've noticed in my uh in 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 my experiences that is um, sometimes the product is extremely successful but uh, you know that that is from a customer stand, uh, standpoint how does this you know factor into the team success because sometimes it's um, it's it's likely different and how do i bring that Um, that collaborative zing, you know, within teams to make sure that, you know, the customer success is transcended into the team success as well.
1: I I will say that question is an entire, entire hour's worth of answers. But if there's anyone on stage who wants to attempt at answering that in a minute or less, so we have some room for closing thoughts. Matt, Samaya, Lisa, uh, this is not a fight for who can go first, but I think at least a, a tweet-sized response is to serve for such an important question as you know, creating unity amongst the team <laughs> around the customer. So Lisa, the stage is yours.
4: Thank you, Red. I think that preface context is really helpful. <laughs> and thank you, Chandra, for sharing that question. Um, I think one of my favorite saying, or one thing I have heard from other PMs and was actually one of my former manager, was that not only is product management a context sport, It is also a team sport. And I think your last question, specifically around how to integrate or transcend customer success into team success, is that that is inherently baked in in product management as a discipline or as a function, which is at the end of the day, no one goes at it alone. Product managers can't build products by themselves. Engineers realistically can't build Products by themselves either and neither can sales, neither can marketing. It really is a team sport where when a product is launched, goes to market, achieve great success, they help contribute to the company's runway, right? And the company's brand, all of these are a collective effort. And in many ways, when we are able to help our customers win. That's how we will win as well, both in surviving, right, as far as having a viable business case, both for the company, but as well as helping our users and helping our end consumers win in however they define success to be. So I think that's a big piece. And going back to your first question around um, breaking in or transitioning into PM, really, I think for product management, similarly, similarly, it's a mindset and it's a set of skills. And chances are you have already done aspect of the PM work and you have already begun to shape your thinking process as a PM. I mean, the fact that you're here today in this room, joining these discussions, and you're probably reading up, absorbing lots of information, listening to podcasts, attending events, all of this are super valuable. And I think the question is not, How you're going to transition, but more of when you're going to transition. And I think a big piece coming back to empathy, right? It's storytelling. So I think the moment you're able to connect with what you have achieved and the skills and experience you have learned and what you have seen on the front line, whatever work you have been doing, I think once you're able to translate that into product management. And looking at your profile, I see you have AI, machine learning experience, recommendation systems. These are all super in-demand skills, especially within tech SaaS platforms, right? Any of the big companies you can name, the Microsoft, Google, Facebook of the world, (laughs) recommendation systems, it's everywhere. So yeah, I think really connecting the dot and being able to craft your story and show that value proposition to a future employer, market yourself as the product and show them why they need you. I think that's when you'll see your transition would definitely happen.
0: All right. Thank you, Chandra, for, for being here. Appreciate Thank your you comment. So and Lisa, great answer. Uh, Lisa, since you had to go first, um, can you share any concluding thoughts, maybe one bullet takeaway that you learned or something that you've said that you want to reiterate? Um, any concluding thoughts to leave the audience with?
4: Yeah, I think, again, thank you all for having me today. I've always enjoyed the conversations with Awaken Product folks and really appreciate being here. I think my key takeaway today that really resonated is definitely the fact that, you know, product management is both an art and a science. And I think in many ways, being PMs ourselves, is we have the privilege and we are in the position to create, right, to bring ideas into reality. And I think that's something that's not spoken about enough. And I'm really glad we were able to have conversation around that today. So thanks again for having me.
0: Thank you for being here. Uh, Matt, you joined a little late and unexpectedly, but you are a key part of the Product Management Center here at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business. And Matt, I'd love if you had any bite-sized pieces of wisdom regarding empathy uh, that you would like to share with the audience in concluding thoughts.
5: Yeah, I'm bummed that Lisa left because I think the one thing i like to say is it's just a real pleasure to hear uh, Lisa today, because I think she dropped some golden nuggets on this discussion today. Um, I guess I'd say a couple of things. One is the product management role is the best role in the universe. And if you're a successful product manager, the sky's the limit. And I really encourage everyone to listen to what Lisa and Samea said around owning the job, being resolute, with your standards and your opinion to drive forward amazing products. The last piece is I really encourage everyone to join the Slack channel for the Product Management Center because um, if you're looking for roles or you want to engage really with a great community, uh, it's a great place to be. So those are my final thoughts.
0: Thank you, Matt. And then um, let's go with Sumeya. Sumeya, you're here every week, Tuesdays at 4 p.m. Pacific time, on how to succeed in product management. Uh, different conversations every time, but this is a very important one around empathy. A lot of great nuggets here, but uh, what are your concluding thoughts that you hope people take away?
2: I wanted uh, to bring up this topic of balance. <laughs> and, and the reason I want to bring it up is uh, because for us products managers, we have to deal with a lot of stakeholders, not just the customer. Sometimes we have investors, sometimes we have uh, leadership, we have other people we have to work with and align and, and, and work together. And so um, it's easy for us to say, just focus on your customer and, and you can find yourself in a situation where everyone on the team is so focused on the customer at the detriment of other stakeholders. So it's really your responsibility as a PM to understand what's going on and ensure that this empathy shows up for the different people who need it. Um, This is a very nuanced thing. It's not just about focusing on your customer, but making sure that people who need your attention as a PM, who need uh, your care, your advocacy, you to listen to them, um, get that from you. And then the last thing is a big part of empathy for me is deep, deep curiosity. Uh, you don't have to love something, but you have to be really curious about it. Uh, and, and that's like a fundamental thing within empathy.
0: Thank you, Sumaya. Wonderful to have you here. And then Red, you were on the founding advisory board for the Product Management Center. You created this week in product, or sorry, the How to Succeed in Product Management show. You and Abtemptive, Uh your company, has helped turn this into a podcast I can't praise you enough for all that you've done, and you stayed 18 minutes beyond what we had expected. Do you have any concluding thoughts you'd want to part uh, for all that you've done that uh, you get a chance to share some wisdom here?
1: Less wisdom and more about consistency, right The product management community needs everyone in this room to help lift each other up. So next Tuesday, four o'clock, the Slack channel, stay involved in the community, because as of right now, we're one of the largest product management communities that is offline. That means it's not just some kind of website with random events. We're here every single week committed to you and to everything you care about in the community. So if you have a topic you want, throw it out our way. We're here to service you. Uh, And so out of pure curiosity and need for empathy, I'm going to shut up. And Jeff, please end the show as you want. I'm done, man, I'm done.
0: (laughs) All right, you've done your piece here. Thank you, Red. Uh, Thank you, Attemptive, for turning uh, How to Succeed in product management into a podcast that you can all download on your favorite podcasting app. And uh, thank you for being here. As Red said, uh, we need to do this together. So the Product Management Center at the University of Washington is uh, on a mission to develop a more diverse, inclusive, and skilled product management community. And to do that, we're going to need people who are ready to learn about topics like empathy, accessibility, inclusive design, responsible AI. You know, ready to learn more than just about uh, dollars but about uh, changing lives. And as we kind of balanced, we talked about, you know when you change lives, you will do well by your company and you will do well in your career. But most importantly, uh, it's, a, it's a moral imperative and a business imperative uh, to have a more diverse, a more inclusive, and a more skilled product management community that develops products that universally improve lives, not just uh, for the select few. So uh, please join us every Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific time here on Clubhouse. Uh, connect with Red or me on LinkedIn if you want to be a guest on an upcoming show. And uh, just stay tuned, we, uh, stay curious, and stay supportive of your fellow product manager. Thank you all for being here, and we will see you next week.